Tonight we're going to talk about the zeal of Phineas. How many of you have ever heard of Phineas before? How many of you know what Phineas did? So I'd like you to stand with me for the reading of the word. Numbers chapter 25, the zeal of Phineas is the title of the message. And the word of our Lord. Now Israel remained in the Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the woman of Moab. And they invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, Every one of you kill his men who were joined to Baal of Peor. And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both, both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her body. So the plague was stopped amongst the children of Israel, and those who died in the plague were 24,000. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel because he was zealous with my zeal. He was zealous with my zeal among them so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. Therefore, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and to his descendants after him a covenant of everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. What is zeal? Zeal is great enthusiasm. Zeal is, is passion to pursue a goal or an objective. It is, it is fervor. Sometimes it is related to fire. It is something that God wants us to all have in our lives, to be zealous. Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, we open up our hearts to you tonight, Lord God. You know, Lord God, there's a time, and we live in a very interesting time, Lord God, where I think there is a need for Christian people to be zealous for their God and take a stand for Him, to take a stand for truth, take a stand for Jesus and the gospel. Father, I just pray tonight that you would speak to our hearts about the zeal of Phineas and that, Lord God, you'd be glorified here tonight amongst us. And in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. So, zeal has been related to a burning fire. It's passion, it's intense, it's enthusiasm. Usually, in our culture, you see zeal in sports. Zealous athletes, football players on the gridiron, basketball players, um, hockey players. In the Christian life, zeal produces wholehearted devotion. In the Christian life, zeal for God, it produces uncompromising, right? An uncompromising commitment an attitude to the Lord. And there's a, a deep connection with zeal and a person who then acts consistently for the glory of God. So when you go through the scriptures, 
You see, I mean, Joseph was zealous for the Lord. Moses and Caleb and David and Josiah, Isaiah, Ruth, Deborah, Daniel, Mary. Mary, Mary. Mary, the mother of the Lord, and uh, Mary, Lazarus' brother, and Mary Magdalene. Mary, 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 Mary. Paul, obviously the Lord, and Phineas. I watched a... Um, a Netflix uh, documentary that was about the Florida State, I'm sorry, the Florida University football team. It really, it featured so much about Tim Tebow. And if you, you know, remember Tim, Tim Tebow or you see Tim Tebow, Tim Tebow just, he embodied zeal. He embodied passion. On the football field, right, at, at Florida State, when he played football for the Denver Broncos, for the New York Jets, and baseball. He was playing minor league baseball for the New York Mets. But he was a, a picture of zeal. He was a, a competitor, a, a man committed to excellence, a man committed to winning. And you see Tim in his Christian life and that same passion, and maybe greater passion that he had on the football field, he had for God. It was interesting in the, in the documentary, you talk about Tim Tebow when he was playing for Florida State, won a Heisman Trophy, won a, a national championship. And um, the players were saying, and they were saying with respect, Tim didn't go to the parties. Tim, Tim didn't get caught up with, I mean, all the, I mean, look at this guy. Look at the, the women. <laughs> they were all over him. And he, he didn't fornicate. Uh, he got married, and they even talked about him being a virgin all through college. Didn't drink, didn't do, you know, drugs, and... Um, one of the, uh, the defensive players there, uh, Tim was the, you know, the, the offensive captain. This guy was the defensive captain. He said that, that Tim carried two books in his arms all the time, his Bible and his playbook. And that is a, a, a picture. I mean, there's a, a great role model. Still today, great role model. He's preaching the gospel and sharing the gospel and the things he's doing with his, um, with his ministry. But it's a picture, again, it's a picture of zeal. So let's, let's dig into the text. And I want to do two things. I'm going to start with you. Part one is going to be the story, and that is just the biblical account. And then I'm going to go into a personal application. So the first, the first thing, what we have here in um, Numbers chapter 25, is compromise in the camp. So in Numbers 25, verses 1 through 5, let me, again, if... You know, two weeks ago I was sharing with you as we're going through the book of Numbers. Balak, the king of Moab, he tried to hire Balaam. Balaam is a, a, a prophet, somewhat of a false prophet. And um, he tries to hire Balaam to put a curse on Israel. And every time he went to put the curse on Israel, God wouldn't let him. He went four times, right, trying to curse Israel. God would not permit him to curse Israel. So, as I showed you a few weeks ago, between chapter 24 and chapter 25, and I said, you've got to read between the lines, and you get really a great commentary later on in Numbers 31. You get it in the book of the Revelation, chapter 2. Peter talks about it. Jude talks about it. It's, it's called Balaam's error, Balaam's sin. And though it doesn't specifically mention it, in Numbers 24 and 25, what happens, Balaam encourages and counsels Balak, listen, God will not permit me to curse Israel, but how you can destroy them, how you can defeat them, send your women over. And for the most part, 
the women shrine prostitutes to seduce the men of Israel. And then you can get them to worship our gods, Baal of Peor. So that's what you have in verses 1 through 5. Now, let me read it to you again. Now, Israel remained in the Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. And they invited the people to sacrifice their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. Now, understand there's a direct correlation and connection between the worship of Baal and Peor, fornication, adultery, sodomy, right? This was all part, this, is, this was worship. If you were worshiping Baal of Peor, you were going into the temple and you were having, you know, immoral sex, okay? Sex, obviously not, you know, that God authorized. And that is what is happening here. So in verse 3, so Israel was joined to Baal of Peor and the anger of the Lord aroused against Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord. By the way, take all the leaders. You know what it is? That's the ringleaders. You've got, you've got a bunch of ringleaders that are leading Israel astray. So the, the Lord commands Moses, take all the ringleaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, every one of you, kill his men who are joined to Baal of Peor. That sounds really, you know, kind of tough, right? It sounds kind of, kind of cruel. Hang them. You don't just realize this. This is a disease. This is a cancer. Yeah, and it spreads. And it could spread throughout the entire, the entire nation of Israel and ultimately end in their destruction. So what does God say? He says, cut it out. But you, need, you need to cut it out. You need to eliminate this cancer and these people, okay, these ringleaders who are leading us into this sin. So he says, e execute them. So second thing, a brazen rebellion. So you know that the word brazen means is to do something without shame, to, to flaunt, you know, uh, your sin, to flaunt, uh, you know, rebellion. And you have this, this brazen rebellion in verse 6 where it, it tells us here, and indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman. He just came strolling into the camp with this Midianite woman in sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So just, it just I mean, he's just totally brazen. He flaunts his sin. In the face of Moses, in the face of the Israelites, this guy is totally shameless. You ever see that in our culture today? Total shamelessness. So if you look at Numbers 25, verse 14 through 15, now the name of the Israelite who was killed, uh, who was killed with the Midianite woman was Zimri. Names him by name. Zimri, the son of Salu, a leader of the father's house among the Simeonites, and the name of the Midianite woman, it even names her, whose name was Cosby, the daughter of Zer. He was head of the people of a, a father's house in Midianite. In Midian. You ever notice that in the word of God, the Lord mentions names? 
of rebels, he calls them out. And you know what? You see this. You see this. I mean, you see it with Paul. I mean, Demas, Hymenaeus, Alexander, Philetus. These were people that Paul threw out of the church. He excommunicated them. Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. God, God calls them out. You know, in, in the scripture it talks about when there is sin in the church, to publicly, if the person will not repent, to publicly bring them before the church. And what you see, that, that, that's happening right here with the church of Israel. Right? It's happening with Israel, with, with, with Zimri being called out. That should make us walk with, you know, with fear. You know what? Something you see in the church, people come in, they create divisions, they create havoc, and then what happens is they rebuke. You know where they go? They just go to another church and do it again. And then it happens there. And then they go to another church and they do it there. There's no accountability. Because there's, there's no unification in the churches. There's no unification in the church. Everybody, you know, every church is in their own silo. Third thing, the boldness of Phineas. So verse 7 through 9. And when Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her body. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel, and those who died in the plague were 24,000. So here is Phineas, right? He is, he is the grandson of Aaron. And he sees what's going on here, and he is as bold as a lion. And what he does, you know, I mean, he is just, he, he is just zealous for God. And he sees this man fornicating with this woman, sinning, right? A plague is broken out, and people are dying because of this sin. A disease in the camp. By the way, this is something. Others apparently are seeing this. Because this guy came strolling into the camp in, in broad daylight, and others are seeing this, but only Phineas does anything about it. It seems like there's a, there's a lot of, you know, passiveness that, that's going on here. A bunch of people here, you know what, they're, they're just sitting on their hands doing nothing. I just want where are the elders? Where are the leaders? Because everybody else is just passive. You ever see non-confrontational people? Right? They, they, they sit on their hands and do nothing while the disease is destroying the camp. You know, all it takes for evil to win is for good people to do nothing. All it takes for evil to win is for good people to sit by on their hands and do nothing. And that's true. It's true of your family, it's true of the church, and it's true of our nation. Passive, non-confrontationalism. They don't want to make waves. They don't want to make waves, right? We don't want, we don't want to make trouble. Right? Don't make waves. Don't make waves. Jesus didn't make waves. He turned the boat over. Right? He, he, turned, he, turned the, he turned the whole boat over. 
So don't make waves. I'll give you a story. There was a guy who came to the church many years ago, wanted to be a pastor. Had a wife, a couple kids, bought a house, moved into a house around the corner here. Got sick. Couldn't work. We all pulled our money together, only about 30, 40 of us. We pulled our money together and we supported the family. Got them through the, uh, got them through the illness, made sure the family didn't you know, get thrown out on the street. And um, then we started noticing that he was very divisive. I think he wanted, he, wanted to be, he wanted to be me. And I'm the founder of the church. I was the one who started the church. He, he wanted my position. Very arrogant guy. So he's creating divisions. He's creating divisions in the church. And I, I talked, I had an elder, Chris Moore. Chris, bold as a lion. God bless him. Very instrumental in building this church. Chris and I went over, we had a talk with him. We said to him, you're out. We don't want you here anymore. You're not welcome here. Do not come back here. You and your family move on. So he moved, and he moved down to another location, and he got involved in another church. And I knew the pastor of the church. And um, I called the pastor, and the pastor blew me off. I wanted to warn him. He destroyed that church. Totally destroyed it. He totally destroyed the church. He, he created such divisions in the church that all the people left. And then I'm, on a, I'm at a pastoral meeting, and the pastor comes up to me, and he says to me, I wish I had talked to you. I wish I had come and talked to you. But when, when, you, have, when you have that type of, of cancer, I, I'll tell you, again, it could be in the family, it could be in, in the church, it could be in any organization. You've got to remove it. Or it will metastasize and destroy the organization. So Phineas, Phineas is an action-oriented man. Phineas is a, is a proactive, take-charge leader. And, and he demonstrates that. He doesn't sit on his hands. Number four, the zeal of Phineas. So verses 10 through 13, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel because he was zealous with my zeal. I don't just notice that. He was zealous with God's zeal among them so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. Therefore say, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God. He was zealous with my zeal, he was zealous for his God, and made atonement for the children of Israel. I want you to, 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 I want to stress this to you. Zeal is not mere words. You know, there, there's, a, there, there's a lot of yappers in the church. You know, they, they really, they, they, talk, they talk a lot, but they do nothing. They yap a lot, but they do nothing. That's true, true. I, I think a, a lot of men in the, in the pulpits today. It's so easy to be up here and just, you know, yap, 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 yap. Well, what am I doing? What am I doing the other 23 hours of the day? And Phineas was a man, again, of action. True zeal is modeled out through consistent action on a daily basis. Now, I want to share with you about a good friend of mine, Jerry Palmieri. 
Jerry's one of the most zealous human beings that I've ever met. We've known each other since we were kids. Jerry is a football coach with the New York Giants. Jerry was very instrumental in leading me to the Lord. Uh, won two Super Bowls with the Giants. I watched Jerry. I, I went out to, to Kansas State and uh, when he was a, a strength and conditioning coach there. And then I was with him with, when he was with the Jacksonville Jaguars, with the New Orleans Saints, then with the New York Giants. And just he's a fired up, just fired up. I used to see him on the football field. No, when they're out on the football field, you know, he's a strength and conditioning coach. I mean, what, you know, what is he doing, right? He's done all the strength and conditioning before the game has even started. And, like, those guys are coming off. The, he's running on the field, and he's getting high fives, and he's patting on. He was just pumped up all the time. Just filled, filled with enthusiasm. I'll tell you something. His enthusiasm for football doesn't even come close for his enthusiasm for the Lord. Now he's retired. And his enthusiasm for Christ, he is right now a, a leader in the FCA, the Federation of Christian Athletes, and Jerry is very instrumental. I'm part, I'm privileged to be a part with him and with Jerry, uh, uh, General Jerry Boykin, who was the head of Delta Force for 13 years, we're basically putting together a men's revival meeting here in northern New Jersey that will be in March. And you're going to be hearing about this. And I'll tell you something, every man in this church needs to be at this meeting. But it's a, it's a one-day Saturday event from morning uh, through the late afternoon. And uh, some of the, the top speakers on men's ministry will be there. And then General Boykin, this guy is a fiery Christian. He's been a Christian since he's been a kid. He'll be giving the final you know, message and invitation at the end. But just Jerry's passion, again, for football cannot compare with his passion for God. You know, he sent me a message this morning. I talked to him a few days ago. And I don't know, he maybe picked up on some things. I'm in a place of, of decision right now. Decision about some things here at the church. And um, Jerry sent me a message this morning, and he gave, sent me a text, simple text. He said, he calls me champion. He's the champion. He got the two Super Bowl rings. And he says, champion, I'm praying for you. That was all he said. Champion, I'm praying for you. But he's got a, he's got a passion for God. He, he has got, I want you to give you a word, because... A child, okay, if zeal is the father, enthusiasm is the son. And if you look at the word enthusiasm, okay, the word entheos, it means to be full of God. And I guess, again, that's, that's what you see in Phineas. That's what you see in, you know, Tim Tebow. That's what, you, you know, you see in Jerry. These, these are men full of the zeal of God. Now think of think of Jesus in John chapter two seventeen, his disciples remembered that it was written, and this is from they're, they're remembering Psalm sixty nine verse nine, zeal for your house will consume me. Look at the Lord, everything he did, he he did with zeal, everything. Now the people were saying all the time, they're looking at Jesus and saying, wow, everything he does, he does with excellence. Everything he does, right? He he does with excellence. It's just everything, everything that he did was with zeal. Number five, zeal's reward. Zeal has a reward. It had a reward for Phineas, and it has a reward for every Christian who lives a zealous life for their Lord. Numbers chapter 25, verse 12 through 13. Therefore say, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace. 
a covenant of shalom. You know what? That, that covenant of shalom is a covenant of well-being. A covenant of shalom is not just, not just you, know, you know, peace, brother. You know, it, it's peace with God. But it's well-being. It's prosperity. It's, it's success. The, the, the concept of, you, you talk to an Orthodox Jew and they you know, say shalom to you. They, they're not just saying, oh, you know, let's have peace between each other. They're talking about an entire well-being of the entire body, soul, and spirit, life, family, marriage. So, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and to his descendants after him a covenant of everlasting priesthood. Notice, it is not only for him, it's for his children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. It's a generational blessing that God places upon him this reward. This, this covenant, right, of an everlasting priesthood because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. That's the reward. Now, part two. I want to give to you an application here. So the, the, the scriptures tell us, right, we don't fight against flesh and blood, right? But we fight on three fronts. We fight the devil, we fight the world, and we fight the flesh. We have three battlefronts in the Christian life. So, so we don't take a spear <laughs> and throw it through our enemy. Sometimes we like to, right? I'm confessing. Thought about it. We're at war with the flesh. Right? Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but the spiritual flesh, the devil, and the world. And when it comes to fighting that battle, just like Phineas was zealous for God, we need to be zealous. Now, you can have all the knowledge in the world of the scriptures, you don't got zeal, right? That, that, again, that enthusiasm, that, you know, it's like, it's like the, great, the, the gospel, they say that the greatest story ever told, poorly told. You ever see somebody preaching, preaching the word and they, I mean, they're articulate, they're monotone, they're unenergized, Right? There's, there's no enthusiasm. There's no, there's no zeal. Right? I was going to remember um, Ferris Bueller. And um, then, it was, I think his name, what was his name? The, the, the teacher at Ben Stein. Bueller, Bueller, right? Just monotone. I mean, you have a teacher like that in high school, pretty boring, right? Man, I, I, the really passionate teachers used to put me to sleep in five minutes in high school. Some of them, boy, you, you, went, you walked in sleeping and you walked out sleeping. There's no passion, no enthusiasm. So, again, to fight this fight, we need zeal. So the first thing, get zeal. Get it. Romans 12, 11, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Spiritual zeal... Okay, I want you to think of this. Where does it come from? Where does spiritual zeal, where, where do you get the zeal? You know, where does Phineas get the zeal? Where does Tim Tebow get the zeal? Where does Jerry Palmieri get the zeal? How about, it, it starts by living in the presence of the zealous one. Right, iron sharpens iron. Let me just say this. Snowflakes basically weaken Snowflakes. Look at the, just look at who you hang around with. I mean, I, I mean if, you want to, if you want zeal, hang around with God, obviously. Hang around with Jesus. But also look at the people you hang around with. 
Well, you, you hang around with snowflake, snowflake people, you're going to become a snowflake. You, you hang around with passionate, zealous people, I'll tell you something, it's contagious. But God, God, right, God dwells in perpetual zeal. Everything, just look at everything that God does from, look, you can look at it in your life, in your personal walk with Him, look at it from Genesis to the book of the Revelation. Everything God does, He does with this intense, passionate zeal. His, his love, His grace, His mercy, His compassion, His healings, His sacrifice, His forgiveness, His justice, His righteousness, His wrath, His judgment, His blessings. Everything, everything that God does is, is us. When, when I'm in the Word, it's, 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 it's zeal-filled, it's energized. I say this, come to the Word every morning. You know, in the morning when you wake up, you wake up like I wake up. Maybe I wake up a little better than some of you wake up. I jump out of bed. I do jump out of bed. I lift my legs up to the ceiling, and I do this like, whoo, and I get out of bed. So if you see me in the hospital with, uh, you know, I, I damaged all the uh, vertebrae in my back, that's, that's what happens. But I, no, I jump out of bed in the morning, and I come down, I have my cup of coffee, get with God, and, man, I get an infusion of zeal and enthusiasm. It never fails. Go into his word, and I just, you know, it's, it's, it's just, he, he hooks me up, and there's an inflow of zeal, and I never walk away less energized, I never have, than when I walked in. I always walk away with a greater amount of zeal and enthusiasm when I go into his presence. But you become, you become like the people that you hang out with. When you hang out with the Lord, you hang out with, with, with zealous people, zealous believers, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna get zeal. Second thing, be filled. In Acts chapter 4.31, church goes through a little bit of a persecution, maybe a little discouragement. They get together, right? Peter and John are released from the Sanhedrin, have a little prayer meeting. It says this in verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. I want you to notice being filled with the Spirit and speaking the word with boldness. Boldness, boldness is, is an outflow of zeal. When the Spirit fills a believer, and you see this, you can see this in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, you see it in Acts chapter 4, you see it in Acts chapter 8, you see it with the Ephesian Pentecost, the Gentile Pentecost in Acts chapter 10. When the Holy Spirit filled them, there was a boldness, there was an enthusiasm, there was a zeal that the Spirit produced in them. So, you know, you need, you need, to, get, you need to get filled. Number three, you need to go on being filled. Ephesians 5.18, it tells us, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And that, the word there is, but be filled, it, it carries with it in the Greek, is to go on being filled. We need to go on being filled with the Spirit. As we go on being filled with the Spirit, we will go on being filled with zeal. So you, a, a great, this is a great old revival story. So, I did a lot of revival meetings before I started Living Word. I travel around. Sometimes I'd start preaching on a, a Wednesday night in a church. I do Thursday. I do Friday. Then I do Saturday, Sunday. You preach the Word. The idea was, you know, you're in these churches. A lot of these churches that were just kind of dead. They were dying, and you're trying. You're trying to 
bring people to Christ. You're trying to you know, get these people revived. You're trying to get these people to be filled with the Spirit of God and get enthousi- you know, enthusiasm and excitement. And we came out of a very live church. So when I was going to a lot of these churches, I'm coming in there you know, passionate and excited and you know, talking to a, a lot of people who just no enthusiasm, no excitement. And one church when I preached in, I went a little long. And the um, deacon came up and he looked at his watch and said, we've been here a long time. Dead. Dead. Sardis dead. Dead. And so there's a story I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. This, this, is a, this is a preacher story. I didn't, I didn't experience this. Uh, I wish I did and I could tell you it from first hand. But there's this uh, church and they're having a revival. So there, this one woman, her husband, he's a man of the world. He's a worldly guy. He doesn't come to church, you know. He doesn't, he doesn't come to prayer meeting. And um, he comes and he sits in the last row of the church. And when the, the preacher would give the invitation to be filled with the Spirit, the man would stand up and he, say, he says, Fill me, Lord! Fill me, Lord! Fill me, Lord! Thursday night comes. Preacher preaches the message. Says, you know... Who wants to be filled with the Spirit? Now he's sitting in the second row from the back, and he says, fill me, Lord, fill me, Lord, fill me, Lord. Friday, same thing. Saturday, same thing. Sunday morning, same thing. He's moving up now, though. So now, now he's, he's, he's almost in the front of the church, small church. And the preacher preaches the message, and he, and he says, he says, who wants to be filled with the Spirit? And the man stands up, and he says, fill me, Lord, fill me, Lord, fill me, Lord. And his wife screams out in the church, don't fill him, Lord. He leaks. We all leak. We all leak. Isn't it, don't you find that's true? We all leak. That's, that's why you need to go on being filled with the Spirit. You get away from the Word. You get away from prayer. You get away from worship. You get away from fellowship. You get away from serving God. You know what happens? You end up empty. All of a sudden, where, where is the pat? You ever see people like that? See somebody, they were, they were on fire for God. They were so passionate for God. And then you see them. And there ain't no excitement. There ain't no passion. There ain't no enthusiasm. They're dead. They leak. Fourth thing. Fan the flame. 2 Timothy chapter 1.6 tells us, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying of my hands. Now, I just want you to notice, what gift? We don't know what gift. And, and maybe, you know, it could be the very gift of his salvation. It could be the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, people say, maybe it's a spiritual gift. Maybe it's Timothy's gift to teach or to preach the word. I'll just say this, whatever gift it is, it's going to be connected with the Holy Spirit. It flows from the Spirit. You can't have a gift, a spiritual gift, and you know you can't have the gift of salvation or the gift of the Spirit. That's not connected with the Spirit. So whatever the gift is, fan the gift into flame. You ever, you ever make a fire? You try to get, Right? Make a fire? You ever see some people don't know how to make a fire, trying to make a fire? It's a pretty funny thing. 
But you get, you know, you make a fire, you got you to you fan that, you got to fan that, you got to get that paper burning, you got to get those embers burning. You got to fan it. I just gotta, we got to fan the flame. We got to be continuously fanning the fire. How, how do we do that? I'll bring you back, bring you back to Ephesians 5.18 through 21. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You know, praise is one of the greatest ways to just fan the flame. Singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Giving thanks. Thanksgiving is a wonderful way to fan the flame. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. That's, that's fellowship. That's us, that's us coming together in, in, in fellowship and connecting with one, one another. Submitting to one another. But there's some things. But, but worship and praise. The word of God, prayer, service, fellowship, right? You, you, those are the things. When we're doing those things, right? Get that, get that flame, right? Get that flame. Fan the flame, man. Fan the You know what? Because the devil, he's a firefighter. He's a firefighter. Devil come, he'll put out your fire. He'll, he'll, bring, he'll bring discourage you, you know, people who will discourage you into your life. He'll, he'll bring thoughts into your life. He'll do all sorts of things to discourage you and put out your fire. And I like when, when people, you know, they haven't come to the church in, you know, 20 years, and they'll come in and they'll say, oh, you're still on fire for the Lord. Well, what do you think, I'm going to burn out? You know, I think I'm, I'm more intense now than I've, than I've ever been. But the, the only way that happens, you, you, need to, you need to fan, you need to fan the flame. So just a you know, final very simple application here. I want you to stop and I just want you to do a little evaluation on yourself, right? You've got a zeal tank. And right now I want you to look at your zeal gauge. Like your gas gauge. Where's your tank at? If you look there, you know, if you're empty, you're just in a place of apathy. I hate apathy. I mean, I just, not that I hate apathetic people, but I just hate apathy. I, I hate, you know, just apathy, you know, just apathetic attitude, no matter, no matter what it is. I just, you know, you know, we, we like people that we're like, and I just do not like to be around apathetic people. But, you know, I mean, if you're in a place, if you're in a, by the way, I don't think you'd be here tonight. I don't, at least, I don't think so. Lord, I don't know what's in the heart of every person here. But if you're watching this on TV and you live down the street, I venture to say you are probably in a place of apathy. You could have, you could have walked here tonight and you is home. That's Apathy. Maybe your tank is a, a quarter of the way filled, and so you know you got, you know, you got a little less apathy. Maybe your tank is, you know, half filled. 
So now you got like a, a, a mixture of a little zeal and a little apathy. You're kind of lukewarm and go and look at Laodicea because that's not a great place to be. Maybe you're three quarters of the way filled and right, you got some zeal there. It's not all the way on, but it, you, you got it. You got some there. You got some zeal, man. <laughs> and if your tank is full, you got it. If your tank is full, you're feeding it. If your tank is full, you're stoking it. If your tank is full, you're fanning it. You want to keep your zeal gauge full because the enemy will come and he will poke holes into your gas tank. Man, he, 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 is, he is tenacious. I know this. 40 years. And now he has come and done everything he can to pour water on my fire. He used people, right? He used people in the church, outside the church, circumstance. Just, just, he comes and he, try, he just tries to put out your fire. So, um, where are you on your zeal gauge? Where's your tank? Amen? Be zealous for God. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord God, as we close, you know, Lord God, we have a great example in Phineas. What a great example. What a great role model, Lord God. This man who was zealous for you. And Lord God, a man who had your zeal. That's what we want. We want your zeal. I pray, Lord God, that you would fill us tonight with your spirit. Let us, Lord God, you know, we, we could be about as filled with the spirit as we want to be. And Lord God, whatever the capacity is that we bring to you tonight, Lord God, I just pray, Lord God, that you would fill, fill the barrel, fill our hearts with your spirit. And may that zeal, Lord God, just well up inside of us, that enthusiasm just, Lord God, enlarge within us. Let us all be zealous for God. For in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Stand with me.